Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. News. Following a developing story. God, having so much fun with this book. Sports. Russell with a five. Pumps once. He's into the end zone. Touchdown, Denver. Now, Ross Kaminsky. On KOA. 8.50 a.m., 94.1 FM, and on iHeartRadio. Okay, it's Thursday. It's my favorite day of the week. I'm gonna, I do have a lot of serious stuff to talk about, but I would just like to start the show briefly, since we're all friends here, just telling you about what my afternoon was like yesterday. So... I've got two little doggies. Ruben is about eight years old. He's uh, mostly black, but with bits of white and brindle French bulldog. He is the sweetest dog in the world. Uh, we've never had a dog with a nicer personality than Ruben. He's the best little guy. And somewhere, somehow, weeks ago, Ruben caught some kind of nasty kennel cough. Don't know where because he wasn't boarding anywhere and I don't think we went to a dog park and he's not around other dogs very often. Sometimes we go for a walk and he'll go say hi to another dog and they'll sniff each other and move along. But anyway, he caught this nasty thing and I thought it would just go away because most of these things do. And, and, and he had had his, his vaccination against kennel cough, but he got it anyway and it, it didn't go away. And I called the veterinarian and they said, yeah, there's this badass version of kennel cough going around right now that doesn't seem to be stopped by the vaccine in a lot of cases. And I think I waited a little too long to get him to the vet. By the time I got him to the vet, they did some x-rays and they said, here, look at this. You can see his lungs. It should be black on the x-ray, but instead they're kind of white, white-ish. That's pneumonia. So we started him on some doggy antibiotics. And that was about a little less than two weeks ago. And and in the past couple of days, he seemed to be getting better, better, better. And then the past couple of days seemed to be getting worse again. And, and so I took him to the vet yesterday as a follow-up. And they did x-rays on him again yesterday. And the the vet says, hey, Ross, let me just show you what's going on with these x-rays. And so she's, you know, we're looking on the computer screen. She pulls up the x-rays and 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 she says, all right, so you, you see this here in the, the lower part of kind of the abdomen, chest cavity kind of area. In the lower part, you can see there's this white band that you can't see through. You can't see the heart behind it. You can't see anything behind it. And And she said to me, this is fluid that's either in the lungs or near the lungs. It's either kind of related to lungs or related to heart. In either case, this is this was not a finding on the x-ray 10 days ago. So this has developed very rapidly. And whatever this is, it's not something we can handle here. And these kinds of things need to be dealt with very quickly or they can be fatal when you start getting fluid in and around heart, lungs, anything like that. So she gave me the names of some places that have in doggy internal medicine clinics. And I started calling around. And the earliest appointment for any of them was 
October 20th. Yesterday was October 4th. So the earliest appointment was 16 days away. And based on the finding from the veterinarian, I, I thought, I don't know if my dog will be alive in, in 16 days. So I, I took my dog over to the doggy emergency room. The one nearest me is called VRCC. It's over by, uh, you know where the Walmart is on Hamden, a little bit east of Santa Fe? Right, the Englewood Walmart, a little bit east of Santa Fe. So it's it's on the other side of Hamden from there, just geographically. And first of all, I just want to give a huge shout out to the the folks at VRCC. They were so uh, kind and, and they just did a tremendous job. So we I, I went there, took Ruben there because I couldn't get an appointment. So I'm just you know I I had a doctor's appointment on my own yesterday. I canceled it because I got to take Ruben to the emergency room. So I get there, the very nice person at the front desk asks me what's going on. I said, there's a finding of, you know, fluid around the, in the abdomen or the chest, something, something. And, and she says, all right, we, we take the, those are very risky situations. We take those very seriously. I'm going to take Ruben back right away. Even though there were like two dogs ahead of Ruben, but they had things that were more superficial. Um, and not necessarily potentially immediately life-threatening. So they took Ruben back right away. And so now I'm waiting around for a, a long time. I'm waiting for much more than an hour, but it's okay. I'm not mad. They're taking care of the dog. They got the dog in right away. A and finally, uh, the veterinarian comes out to talk to me. And she's very nice, very professional, very detail detailed, um, just... Uh, gave an excellent explanation of what's going on. And she said, Ross, we did another x-ray and we, didn't, we did not find what they found. And just to be sure, she said, I did an ultrasound on the dog, which would easily immediately show if there were fluid because fluid shows up very different on an ultrasound than empty space does. And uh, she said, there's, there's no fluid. And probably it was just that the first veterinarian got an unlucky angle on the x-ray that they took where it ended up that there were a couple of structures, you know, right in front of each other, one, one in front of the other. And it's what she called overlap. And she said there's probably, there was probably overlap here and it caused it to look like there was fluid in the, in the chest or abdomen, but there isn't. And your dog still has pneumonia and maybe we'll change his medicines, but there is no fluid and everything's fine. And I did not charge you for the x-ray and I got to, so I, I spent, you know, five hours of my day and, you know, a couple hundred bucks at the doggy emergency room, which is fine. It's very cheap for going to a pet emergency room. And I'm not upset about what they charged me at all. It's very reasonable. And she didn't charge me for the x-rays. And so it was an annoying and slightly expensive afternoon, but it started with me thinking that my dog probably has something with a good chance of being fatal and ended up with, nope, nothing to see here. It was just an unlucky accident of how the first x-ray was taken. So that was my afternoon. A lot of stress followed by a, <sighs> yep. We all go through these things. And, and luckily, it has a happy ending, right? It's much better than the other way.
Well, you know, you, you, you go and then you find out something that you had no idea there was anything wrong. And then suddenly you find like this happened to me years ago. I'll just tell you the super short version of this story because I don't want to bore you too much. I, I was I was visiting my wife who was in the hospital for an irregular heartbeat when she was seven, seven and a half months pregnant. So very, very scary. By the way, it turned out that it was just dehydration. But they had her in the in the cardiac unit hooked up to all kinds of things, monitoring her heartbeat because uh, an irregular heartbeat is always scary and doubly so when you're pregnant. So I was visiting my wife in the hospital and it was a very nice hospital room and it had a little couch and I was sitting on the couch and I was doubled over sort of moaning and writhing in pain because I had a kidney stone. And I wasn't going to not visit my wife just because I was in pain. But by the time I got to the room where I was visiting my wife, the pain really hit hard. And I don't know if you ever had a kidney stone, but they say that it is the only pain that rivals the pain of giving birth. And I've never given birth and I probably never will. But boy, did that hurt. It felt like I was getting punched in the back over and over by Mike Tyson. So I'm sitting there on the couch and the nurse comes in and says, oh, this is BS, but she said the whole word. I won't say it on the radio. And she said, I'm taking you to the emergency room. Have you heard this story before, A-Rod? She said, I'm taking you to the emergency room. So she puts me in a wheelchair, takes me down to the emergency room. They put me on a gurney. All the rooms are full in the ER. So I'm out in the middle, in the hallway on a gurney, and they give me a shot of Dilaudid, which is sometimes called synthetic heroin. It's a very, very, very strong painkiller. And, of course, it makes you, if you don't fall asleep, you're kind of woozy, kind of dizzy, as you might expect from a painkiller that strong. And they took me to get a CAT scan. And I got the CAT scan. And then I'm lying in the hallway still waiting for the results. And my memory of this is kind of foggy because I was on such strong medicine. But the doctor came over to me and said, the kidney stone is small enough that it will pass by itself. We don't need to do a procedure to go get it. But we think you have cancer. Uh, what? What? <laughs> Say again? Yeah, we we have this, we, we see a, a mass either in or on your small intestine. We suspect it may be a kind of cancer called carcinoid, which at the time is what people thought Steve Jobs had. It ended up that he had some different kind of cancer. Uh, and, you know, we, we think you have cancer. So I'm lying there processing that, and at some point, you know, a day or two later when I'm not on these heavy drugs anymore and the kidney stone has passed, and I get, I'm talking with the doctors again, and, and, and as I noted, my wife was over seven months pregnant at that point. You know, kids due to be born in a month and a half. We already have a young kid at that point, and so I can't be in a position where I can't help. I have to be able to help. So I said to the doctor, look, i got to be able to help my wife when this new baby's born, so you got to get me in there and get this surgery done right away so I have time to recover before this next baby arrives. So they get me in there and and they take out six inches of my small intestine. They take out my appendix as long as uh, while they were there. They and they, they take out this part of my small intestine that has this thing attached to it that they thought was cancer. They thought from the imagery, they thought it was a tumor of some kind. And... Uh, Turns out it was never identified. 
It was some kind of weird calcified mass. It was not cancer and it had never been cancer. And it was never going to be cancer. And it was sent off to probably the best pathology lab in the world, the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology. Even though I wasn't at a military hospital, I was actually at a Kaiser hospital because I was in Kaiser at the time. And by the way, Kaiser, Kaiser did a great job. I'm not complaining about them at all. And uh, it was never identified, and it was never cancer. And, and that's an example of a kind of thing where you go in thinking there's really nothing. Or it's, oh, it's a kidney stone, we'll just see how big it is. And then they come back and say, oh, we think you have cancer. Unbelievable. I'll tell you the coolest thing out of all of that. Here's the coolest thing. When they had me cut open, they took pictures of my guts. And so somewhere I've got these lovely color pictures showing my liver and my stomach and, and like uh, my internal organs. It's so cool. I don't know if it was worth it to get that. And one day there will probably be some kind of little device that they can just, you know, like put on your belly button and it'll burrow its way in and then take pictures. And then you can have them for a little bit less of a hassle than I went through getting major abdominal surgery. But at least I have that souvenir. All right. All right. I hope I didn't bore you too much with that story. So this is how you know that the Biden administration is very afraid of a particular issue right now. Very, I, I mean, very afraid. So some years back in 2020, before Joe Biden was actually elected, but shortly before the election, he did an interview with an NPR reporter and he said, and I quote, there will not be another foot of wall constructed on my administration, not one. And he's talking about the border wall along our southern border. And, and remember, so Joe Biden's goal with the southern border, I don't think the dude really had an immigration or border security goal. His only goal was to do the exact opposite of whatever Donald Trump was doing. And I think if you look back at the history of the Trump administration... I think every honest person would agree that one of Trump's biggest policy successes, putting aside the earlier controversy about separating kids from families, but one of his biggest policy successes was getting control over our southern border in a way that had not been the case probably during my lifetime. That thing was not quite airtight, but it was really good. And Joe Biden made it his mission to just undo all of those policies for no reason other than to undo them. And that's why he was campaigning on there will not be another foot of wall. He had no idea whether a wall was a good idea or a bad idea. He had no idea whether a wall works or doesn't work or anything like that. It was just... It was just, I am campaigning on not being Donald Trump, and that means I will be the opposite of Donald Trump on every issue I can think of. And that's what he did. It, it, there was only probably one issue where he stayed the same as Trump, although he did it very quietly, and that was on trade where he and Trump are both bad. But one of Trump's best areas was the wall. So Joe Biden campaigned explicitly explicitly 
not another foot of border wall. So now what's happening? Now you've got the governors, just to name a few, of Illinois, Michigan, and New York, all very liberal Democrats, all longtime supporters of open borders and sanctuary cities, all now criticizing the Biden administration for not doing enough to get control of the border and not doing enough to support states and cities with logistics or money with this tsunami of illegals. And by the way, when I say illegals, I want to be very, very clear here. I'm not confining that term to people of just one country or just a few countries or who speak just one language. I'm not talking about Mexicans or Guatemalans or Venezuelans or just Hispanics or anything like that. I mentioned yesterday, I think they've caught people from over 150 countries. All of them who cross the border illegally are illegals. I don't care if the left doesn't like that word. So now, and, and look what's happening here in Denver. Look how much money Denver is spending on dealing with these migrants. You've got the mayor of New York furious about it. New York! So, the Biden administration knows that the politics of this is blowing up in their faces. There, there was just a big meeting in Chicago yesterday. There, a bunch of residents in a low-income neighborhood are furious about their local rec center being turned into a place to house migrants so that they're not, you know, doing their rec center thing anymore. They're pissed. And we're talking about... You know, inner city, African-American, perpetual Democrat voters. And they're mad. Here's the headline from yesterday. This is from National Review, but lots of places have the story now. I just saw it here first. Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas waived 26 federal laws Wednesday, allowing border wall construction in South Texas to resume under the Biden administration for the first time since former President Donald Trump left office. Mayorkas, who, by the way, is one of the most incompetent cabinet members I've ever seen. And that's saying something because we do get a lot of incompetent cabinet members. I mean, Pete Buttigieg is one good example, but this guy, Mayork, is pretty much in a league of his own. He says there's presently an acute and immediate need to construct physical barriers and roads in the vicinity of the border of the United States in order to prevent unlawful entries into the United States in the project areas. You don't say this project is, at least for now, is only about 17 miles or so. It's in an area of Texas called Star County with two R's near McAllen, Texas. And in the, um, I think this is in the Rio Grande Valley sector for Border Patrol. And they're going to waive provisions of things like the Clean Air Act, the Safe Drinking Water Act, the Endangered Species Act. This happened under the Trump administration as well. With the idea being, we don't want to waste a lot of time going through a lot of bureaucratic nonsense that'll hold up this project for years and years and years to construct 17 miles of wall that we really need right now. So the Biden administration is doing what the Trump administration did. I mean, only for 17 or so miles right now. But I mean, compared to there will not be one more foot of border wall that Joe, Camp Joe Biden campaigned on. What this says to me is the Biden administration 
is very, very afraid of this issue. It is absolutely blowing up in their faces. You can practically smell the fear. When Alejandro Mayorkas orders more border wall built, you know that the Biden administration is in full panic. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Make mode. All right. Jonathan must have gotten stuck in traffic somewhere. <laughs> Thank you, Chad Bauer. Always appreciate you. Uh, A-Rod, how we doing? No, not yet. Okay, we're, we're trying to line up a guest, uh, and with a little luck, we'll have him in a minute. But in the meantime, I'll, I'll just tell you what we're going to talk about, it, if and when we get him, is Proposition HH. So Prop HH, we've, we've talked about this uh, on and off for a while, but it's going to be more on than off as we go through the election. It is a truly reprehensible, cynical, shell game, bait and switch that is... Pretending to be a property tax cut, and there is a little bit of property tax relief in it, but not very much and not permanent. And what it's hiding, what it's concealing is an effective income tax hike. Now, it's not directly raising your tax rates. What it is is it will, over not very many years, eliminate Tabor refunds. Now, Tabor has... Lots and lots of stuff to recommend it. The refund mechanism is, you know, not perfect, but probably better than nothing. Overall, the goal of Tabor, which works quite well when we don't let Democrats get around it, is to limit the amount, limit the growth of government effectively. It, it limits the amount of tax of taxes that the government can keep. After it collects it from us, it can only go up by a certain formula every year. And if it goes up by more than that, then they have to give the money back. And the idea is to not let government grow significantly in terms of a share of the overall economy of the state. Right. So it, the government budget is allowed to grow by population and inflation. All right. So, OK, fine. So if you assume that the rest of the state economy also grows by roughly population plus inflation, then as a percentage of the state's GDP, government should stay pretty constant and not become what it has become in New York and Illinois and California and all that. So Democrats and other big spenders like some corporate kinds of Republicans, you know, the, the Chamber of Commerce Republicans who are kind of sort of Republicans, but usually support tax hikes, these guys, they, um, they're not very reliable when it comes to maintaining limited government, maintaining this kind of share of 
the economy being being limited by Tabor. And this is one of the things that has kept Colorado quite fiscally healthy. It's probably not as good as, you know, Texas or Florida, or places with a little more discipline. And, of course, it gets worse the longer we have Democrats running things because they pass taxes that go around Tabor using dumb voters with some frequency. But Proposition HH is a whole different thing. And I spent some time yesterday, and this is up in my blog note today. I did a little video of this that A-Rod has posted online, and it's in my blog note today, about how Proposition HH is going to be a disaster for renters here in Colorado. If you rent a property in Colorado, Prop HH is probably going to cost you thousands of dollars over the next decade, which is normally how they measure these things. There are plenty of other groups, including just honest people, but plenty of other groups who shouldn't do oppose Proposition HH. And one is small businesses, as represented by NFIB, the National Federation of Independent Business. And joining us to talk about NFIB's position on HH, Tony Gagliardi is the state director here in Colorado for NFIB. And he wrote a piece for Colorado Politics, which is linked on my blog today, if you can't find it easily yourself, entitled Why Small Businesses Oppose Proposition HH. Hey, Tony, thanks for being here. My pleasure, Ross. Thanks for having me. So why don't we just jump right in? What is it specifically about small businesses that should cause them to object to HH? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's a great question because the question I'm asked most commonly is why is small businesses getting involved in Proposition HH? And let me put it this way. Small business owners act like consumers. When a small business owner receives something along the lines of a Tabor refund in years past, they don't immediately go out and spend that on fancy items and that. They end up putting that back into the business. By putting it back in the business, it keeps the it keeps them financially uh, able to do what they do best, and that is serve the public and create new jobs. Okay, so how does HH harm their ability to serve the public and create new jobs? Okay, the HH will harm small businesses because it will start depleting the Tabor refunds. This has been the Democrats' goal for ever since Tabor was passed, that to abolish Tabor. And I think they hit on the Proposition HH as a possible way of doing that by continuously increasing the amount of available revenue the state is allowed to keep and then uh, reducing the Tabor refunds over the next five to ten years. So I, I assume you've seen the Common Sense Institute's research on this that shows how much it'll take. Have you guys done your own research on how much Prop HH will cost us? Uh, NFIB has not done uh, a national uh, or a, uh, their own uh, research project. We found that the Colorado, uh, the uh, Common Sense Institute report was extraordinary in what it pointed out, and that's the one that we have chosen to go with. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. It's very good and, and detailed research. Why do you think there hasn't been more overt pushback from 
the Chamber of Commerce types, the bigger business types, against this disgusting, cynical, misleading proposition? I can't answer that. I can't. I can't speak for for the large business business types. But I think it's the mindset between the mindset difference in mindset between corporate America and Main Street business. Mm-hmm. So, how many businesses does NFIB represent in Colorado? Right now, I have a little over six thousand members in Colorado. Three hundred thousand. Three hundred thousand members nationally. Wow. And when you say 6,000 members, is that 6,000 businesses or 6,000 individual members? Um, what, what is that com- comprised of? That is 6,000 businesses. That's one member, one membership, and they all pay dues. Okay. So if one of those businesses represents five people, right? If, if every one of those businesses represented three people even, then you're talking about close to 20,000 potential votes against against this thing just from your members, not to mention like the people they'll talk to and tell them why they shouldn't vote for this. You're absolutely spot on, Ross. Yep. Do you you have any, uh, this is a little outside of your lane, but do you have any kind of feeling right now about how HH is doing, whether it's likely to pass or fail? Well, we have found, and I think other uh, polling has found uh, too, is that on the surface, People are more or less in favor of HH, but when it's explained to them how it's going to operate and what the long-term ramifications are, that there is an immediate shift to the other side to into opposition. That makes perfect sense because, as I've noted on this show multiple times, it is one of the most deceptively written things I've ever seen. And it is intentionally written to fool people and to make them think it's just property tax relief when it is actually a bigger effective income tax hike and they hide it. And it is it is one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. Uh, folks, I, w- I want you to go to coloradopolitics.com and, and read Tony Gagliardi's piece, Why Small Businesses Oppose Proposition HH. If you don't remember where to find it, if you just go to my Thursday blogcast today, it's all linked there along with a, uh, a link to NFIB. So um, thanks so much for your time, Tony, and thanks for making a public statement on this thing. We need more people like you and more organizations like yours. Thank you very much, Ross. All right, one quick thing. I want to answer a listener question very, very quickly. A listener asked, who proposed Prop HH? Prop HH was written by the governor's office. The legislature was working on some things, I don't know what, and they probably wouldn't have been great, but probably better than nothing, to help Coloradans who are getting buried as we speak under these new property valuations and massive, massive increases in property taxes. And the governor's office told the legislatures, hey, just stop, don't do anything, we're going to bring you something. And so the legislature listened, did nothing, and then they, the governor's office brought Prop HH. They don't want you to know that. They, th- they want you to think the legislature did it, but it was, it was Jared Polis and his people who did it. It is an overt assault on Tabor, and they must not get away with it. I'm Ross. Thanks for spending some time with me. I do always, always appreciate your company. 
And since A-Rod is playing some music about teachers, let me share this stuff with you. Clearly, A-Rod is paying attention to what I said I was going to talk about. I saw a study a couple of days, uh, several days ago, by an academic who I think is in California, but who went to CU Boulder, about teacher salaries. And, and she's kind of studying the salaries of teachers compared to the salaries of other college graduates and kind of arguing that teachers are underpaid. And uh, we got into a little discussion about how you measure that and how do you account for the benefit to teachers of things like having an enormous summer vacation and having, uh, having it very, very, very difficult to get fired, right? You have incredible job security as a teacher normally. So what's that worth? So we were going back and forth on that a little bit. And the one thing she pointed out to me was private school teachers typically earn less money than public school teachers. Now, I'm not very close to the private school situation, but I don't generally hear about shortages of private school teachers. So I'm assuming that private schools are at least not having as hard a time getting teachers as public schools are, although that could be wrong. It could just be that the public school system is so much bigger and we don't hear about private schools, but I'm just going to assume that for now. So if it's true that it's much harder to get and retain public school teachers than private school teachers, even though the public school teachers make more, then what else could be going on that makes teaching public school kids in particular so much less enjoyable and fulfilling as a teacher. And I saw this story, this came out yesterday in the New York Times, and this is linked on my blog. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. I'm going to do a little more of a summary in the interest of time. But the headline, and I would love to hear from teachers if you think this is right, Text me at 56690 if you're a teacher, although you're probably teaching right now rather than listening to the show. The headline is, teachers can't hold students accountable. It's making the job miserable. And this reporter talks about how there are fewer and fewer te people becoming teachers. The proportion of college graduates who are going into teaching is at a 50-year low. And then talks about a questionnaire asking teachers what's going on. And the reporter says one of the consistent themes was that they felt they could no longer hold students accountable academically or behaviorally because of pressure from snowplow parents and bad district policies. They quote a teacher, and the reporter says this is a typical response, a public high school teacher on the East Coast saying that when a big chunk of the graduating class has a 4.0, grades are meaningless. And the teacher added this, failure is a bad word, and the kids know it. It takes way more work to hold a student accountable than to simply pass him or her. Even if a kid does nothing all year, we are encouraged to find a way to pass. And then, of course, when a student doesn't perform, parents want to know what we are going to do about it and not what their child can do. Here's another thing. Chalkbeat reported last year that GPAs of students... All high school students, the average GPA was 2.68 in 1990, 2.94 in 2000, 3 in 2009, 3.11 in 2019. But at the same time, test scores on national exams have dropped or remain unchanged, which suggests that these increasing grades do not represent increasing learning. 
And again, in the interest of time, I'm, I'm not going to go through this in great deal, in great detail, but they talk about how even if a kid plagiarizes or cheats or doesn't turn something in, in this person's school district, they have to give that kid a 50%, and then they lowered the passing standard from 65 or, or something to 59 and a half. So then the kid who can do nothing and get a 50% just will do a little bit of work on a couple of things, maybe get a C on a couple of things and end up with 60% and then they pass. You also can't do anything to them if they're behaving badly. And this is all coming, they don't say this in the article, but this is all coming from stupid left-wing education policy. It is the, the allowing students to get 50% on an assignment that they don't turn in or that they cheat on is the equivalent mindset of getting rid of bail, right? We're going to let all, we're going to let the criminals out. Because really the criminals are the victims here, apparently. And we're going to not hold students to account because really this system should be designed to just make kids' lives nice rather than cause them to be ready to compete in the real world. And this ties into a story that you just heard on KOA News earlier this morning about how more than a quarter of Colorado students missed more than 10% of school in the last school year, according to the Colorado Department of Education. Can you imagine that? More than a quarter of students missed more than 10% of school last school year. No wonder nobody wants to teach. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now, Ross Kaminsky. On KOA. 850 AM. 94.1 FM. And on iHeartRadio. Good morning, I'm Ross. Thanks so much for spending some time with me. You know, if you've been listening to me for more than five minutes, that I'm a big nerd. And you also know that I love comedy. And it's just such a pleasure to be able to work with comedy work so frequently and have some really funny people come in. And so the best thing for me is when there's a comedian who's a nerd. And there are not that many, really. And I don't know if there's any more nerdy then my guest in studio right now, Matthew Broussard. Now, you might not know he's a big nerd just by looking at him. He looks kind of cool, and he's wearing the boat shoes. Um, but welcome, and you, you're you a nerd. I'd like to think so. Yeah. It's, it's hard to call yourself that. You, you'd hope <laughs> others would call you that. Uh-huh. I'm calling you that. Yeah. But I'm calling me that. If you call yourself a nerd and you're yeah. not one, then you're a dork, and no one wants to be a dork. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, you... Sometimes described yourself as a as a disgraced financial analyst. Although you were telling me before we went on, it wasn't exactly a financial analysis you were doing. That was the name on my business card. But uh, the the <laughs> most technical thing I did for that entire job was V lookup. I was at a company with three people: the uh-huh. guy who invested, a secretary, and I was brought on to kind of just help with other things. Mm-hmm. I did spreadsheets. My last week there, the secretary there. Um, I taught her control F 
She didn't know what control <laughs> F was. She had been doing that job for 10 or 20 years. And she goes, wait, you, you can find things without just like looking around? He goes, yeah, you can control F. And yeah, she goes, oh, that's, that's useful. Uh-huh. I was like, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So my job was just to, I've always said it was private wealth management, which is to make rich, rich people give you their money and you invest it. The real job is to make them feel too stupid to do it themselves. <laughs> Finance is one of the few, uh, like, I, I, I don't know, technical pursuits where your job is to make it sound harder than it is. Engineering, you're actually trying to simplify things. Math is trying to be as, as uh, well stated and simply stated as possible. Finance, it benefits them to use uh, unnecessarily big words. That's most, a really interesting point. And I, I noticed this because if this isn't too, stop me if I'm getting too granular. No, I no, I love, this I love this stuff. Um, I would log in every day to a couple different bank accounts to track some information. God forbid I actually use data scraping to do it. God forbid we automate anything. Um, I would look every day at people's uh, positions was what one, uh, Wells Fargo would call it positions, mm-hmm. which is just how much you have in terms of your stock amounts that day. But at another site, it would be called holdings. At Citibank, it might be called holdings. At JP Morgan, it could be called um, accounts mm-hmm. or, or perhaps portfolio. It was portfolio yeah, yeah. or it was history or trades or transactions. Every website used specifically different words. And it was all an effort to make you feel dumb so that they could manage your money for you and take a cut. Finance is very evil. I think we both left this industry for similar reasons. You don't do anything. You don't make anything. I, I, what do you sell? How do you feel good about yourself at the end of the day when you didn't even create a good... I'm, I sell t-shirts at the comedy show, yeah. and it's the most accomplished I've ever felt. Because <laughs> I sell t-shirts for 20 bucks. Uh-huh. Yeah. That feels more like a job than finance. You know, it's funny. I, when I uh, took, I take kids to concerts from time to time, my kids, and, and, you know, t-shirts at concerts are 50 bucks now. Yeah. 45 bucks, 50 bucks. Like, what's going, uh, by the way, folks, I should have mentioned this before. Matthew Broussard is playing tonight at 7.30, and then it's Thursday today, right, Mel? Yes. And, and then Friday and Saturday at 7.15 and 9.45 at Comedy Works South at the Landmark. Go to comedyworks.com for your tickets. And thanks to Mel's generosity, a little later in the show, I'll have a pair of tickets to give away way so you can go see Matthew himself. I, okay, so let's just, do, sometimes I do serious conversations with comics, because uh-huh. you probably are asked to like tell me a joke a lot, and I, I don't do too much of the whole tell me a joke thing. So when I was in, when I was waving my hands and yelling on the trading floor, uh-huh. I would sometimes think to myself, hey Ross, what value are you bringing to society? Yeah. Are you curing this or solving that? And I ended up thinking to myself, well, I could make an argument about the value of adding liquidity to a market, mm-hmm. but mostly I'm just here to make money and I'm going to be fine with that. Yes. And it's kind of cool. That's the unfortunate part about finance. It's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. You wear, you wear suits. That was the reason I got into it because there was this guy named Cameron Day on my floor in uh, college. He was a smart, handsome Connecticut kid and he you know, made great grades and he, he became a trader. I'm like, well, that must be the path. Mm-hmm. That's what cool people do. Yeah. There's no no value add. There's no value add, mm-hmm. and I just had to be okay with with that. And yeah. I just had to be honest with myself. All right, there's no value add, and if I want to be value add, I'll take some of the money that I earned and donate it to various charities, which yes. I which I did. But it doesn't make me a hero, and, and um, it's it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You know, you, the other thing you said that I thought was really interesting is how it's in the interest of these people to make other people feel like they can't do it themselves or make them feel a little stupid. And what's interesting about that to me is the target audience is 
is usually somebody with at least seven figures. And yes. it could be eight or nine or even ten. There's not a lot of billionaires out there. Mm -hmm. But most of those people aren't dumb. So it's not an easy thing to make a smart people who, a smart person who made $50 million think he's not smart enough to do this. Right. Well, I would push back a little bit. There are some very dumb people with a lot of money. <laughs> it is, it is uh -huh. very surprising. Uh, you're correct, but it's a similar thing to my girlfriend's dad. Is uh, uh, He abhors the idea of paying someone to fix something he could fix himself. Plumbing, he will, he will dismantle the house mm -hmm. if it means saving $50 and doing it himself. Uh, so that's what you're up against sometimes. But yeah. sometimes I'm that guy. Yeah. You're not. <sighs> time. I understand time yeah. also has a value. And, and also there is a, sometimes you're paying for the comfort of knowing it's been done correctly, mm -hmm. but sometimes it's very fun to get, yeah. I installed a Nest thermostat and doorbell at a place we just bought. And I was very, I felt like a man. Uh huh. I felt like a real man. Look at me <laughs> screwing things in. I have a drill bit for that. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's very fun. Oh my but, gosh. Uh, are you able to stick around for a bit? Yeah. I'd love to talk to you a little more. Let's do more. All right. We're going to hit a quick break. We'll be right back with Matthew Broussard. Go to comedyworks.com to get your tickets to see Matthew tonight, one show tonight at 7.30, and then Friday and Saturday, both 7.15 and 9.45. Keep it here on KOA. All right. I'm Ross. This is KOA, king of agriculture. And I'm joined in studio by Matthew Broussard, uh, not just a nerd, but a tremendously funny comic, and he's playing it. Comedy Works tonight at 7.30 and Friday and Saturday, 7.15 and 9.45. Tickets at ComedyWorks.com. Uh, since you did me the favor of sticking around through a break, which you didn't have to do, what would you like to talk about? Well, you, you were saying you had a very, um, uh, a, a little bit more of a serious subject, but I know you had a strong debate uh, uh, on a previous show about uh, breakfast cereals. Indeed. And I would like to uh, get your opinion on scones. Ooh, because this is really divisive, and I know a lot of people have strong feelings about it, one way or the other. And you know, I, I don't want to—I don't want to show my hand here. But okay, I, I'm probably not quite your typical person to ask because I'm married to an Australian, and scones are a thing. Yeah, in Australia, Does scone means scone. No. Okay. A scone in Australia is more like a muffin okay. versus the scone in England that. I think we're talking about here. I'm I'm down with anything I can put honey on. Okay. What Do about you? I I the triangular scones, the dry, yeah. flaky, mm. bready. It's it's my favorite pastry. It might be one of my favorite foods. And and I and I when people say, oh, I'd rather have a muffin because it's soft and gooey and sweet. Mm -hmm. You sound uncultured. <laughs> it sounds like you can't appreciate the. And, and I'm not talking about like a, a you know like a pastry. It's like in a plastic wrap at a at a famous coffee shop that I probably shouldn't name because mm -hmm. I don't know your sponsors, but uh, it's just, it's, it's, it makes you appreciate the, the, the subtlety of the sweetness and, and people really get angry about this and they say, no, it's gross. It's, it's, it's boring. No, no, it's not. And honey, what, what a great embellishment. I, I think that's very strong. Are, are, are there <laughs> any other foods that you think deserve more credit and are demonized? You've clearly thought about this a mm -hmm. lot more than I have demonized foods. I, I find I am not a f okay. I can be a food snob, okay. and it's not above me. Although I haven't done it lately, to go out to a dinner that's you know one hundred and fifty dollars before wine for one person, yeah. I will do that. Yes, but also I just got a I just got a text on my phone this morning, and I'm I'm showing Matthew this because this is a real thing. Today only. 
Quarter pound double cheeseburgers are $1.99 with code BURGER in the Sonic app. I'm doing that, too. That is a, a bit less than $100. $1.99 for a burger? $1.99 for a double cheeseburger. That's what they call the movie The Founder. So, you know, so... I. What do, I mean, what do you think demonized food? Okay, I'll, I'll ask you this: uh, Red Vines or Twizzlers? Oh boy, I don't like either one. Really? Yeah, I'm not. I'm, those things stick in my teeth, and I just I, I don't know. Okay, I think the right answer is supposed to be Red Vines, but I don't know. For me, it's Twizzlers. Oh, they're less sweet. It's that rubbery. It's that. I think it's a similar thing to scones, where yeah. it, like it forces you to slow down and appreciate things. Whereas Red Vines are just this this just punch in the face of sugar. It kind of it kind of like disintegrates in like a chalky way. Whereas mm -hmm. I could eat a pound of Twizzlers as a kid in a day. What about black licorice? Um, I respect people who are into it. It's like I don't have <laughs> like I don't appreciate wine. Uh -huh. And when someone like can taste something and say this is good, even if it tastes yucky to me, right. I'm like I know it's good, and I'm the uncultured one. Here, I'm the one who's less sophisticated. Mm -hmm. um, black licorice is really impressive to me because it also is like. Um, I'm not going to just take the simplest thing offered to me. My dad w uh, was uh, just, he just tore through black licorice and black licorice jelly beans. And that guy had more gold in his mouth than teeth mm -hmm. uh, by the end of it, mm -hmm. but loved it. I think it's, a, it's, it's interesting. I find it kind of like an alt. So as a scones guy, yeah. do you drink tea also? No. No, I'm a no, coffee guy. You're a coffee through and through guy. Through. Interesting. And I'm I don't, a tea I don't guy. Miss tea right here. I don't dip. What kind of tea do you drink? Uh, this is English breakfast, but I, I am a tea snob because I've yes. been to the tea growing regions in India and Sri Lanka and all wow. that, and I learned about good tea. What do you put in your? That's Earl Grey. You said uh, this one is English breakfast. English I breakfast. do drink Earl Grey, and then I drink of other a bunch of other stuff people never heard of. Do you have to put stuff into it to enjoy it, or can you just drink Earl Grey straight? Uh, Ooh, black? that's a good question. Because the I English usually. Put sugar or fake sugar uh -huh. and a little bit of cream, kind yes. of the British style. Okay, so not overly, because when, when you go to England, they're like, oh, you don't drink tea? You must be, you know, not sophisticated. Right. And then you see how much milk they pour in. I'm like, you have <laughs> tea-flavored milk. Uh-huh. You don't get to judge, or the honey, or the whatever, the lemon. I was thinking, though, a scones guy would be like a pinkies up tea-drinking guy. No, I'm, I'm weirdly like, I kind of don't mix my food. I will eat the full pastry and then drink the coffee. I don't want to dip. I mm -hmm. hate dipping. Gross. I love coffee. I'm a real snob with coffee. That is the one place where I'm like, I, I'm the guy who holds up the line being like, what region is this from? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's me. I love Ethiopian and Kenyan coffee. I'll pay six bucks for a pour over. <laughs> I don't really drink. I don't do a ton of drugs or anything. So that is my that is my party. You really are like a Brooklyn hipster millennial. I know. I used to love Seven Eleven coffee, and then I just drank it too much. And now it's. I don't like being a snob. People take pride in being a snob. Mm -hmm. I wish I enjoyed other coffee. It's like, I don't love coffee. I hate it. I hate most of it. So am I a coffee fan or a hater that I have to have such a high bar? It's, it pains me. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You're mm -hmm. allowed to have standards. Mm -hmm. But coffee's the one place. Food, I eat to, I eat to survive. I eat to live. Yeah. I'll eat whatever. Would you have a $1.99 Sonic double cheeseburger? That. Or is that, that worries below me a even tiny you. Bit. That worries me. I, I, I picture it in my intestines for, for <laughs> 10 years, just sitting there watching as the processable food goes by. Uh-huh. Yeah. I love the fact that, we only got about a minute here, but I love the fact that in one of your bits, I think this was in something you posted to your Instagram channel just uh -huh. recently, you called yourself boat shoes, or yes. you pretended someone else was calling you boat shoes. Yeah, well, they're boat shoes, yeah. That have, was so funny. Thank you. I, I have to be careful what I have opinions about, because I look... Uh, a little too country club to, to comment on <laughs> uh -huh. things. That, yeah. Yeah. I, little, I, little I love white. that whole angle. A little yeah. too white. So yeah. can.
Can you even talk about race in your in your shows, or do you feel like you're too white to do it? It builds a lot of tension, and then it's my job to. Uh, uh-huh. I, uh, I'll, I'll hint at things. I try to. I try to be earnest, but I try to be careful. It's hard to know what white means these days. Yeah. But you got I am wh- Tucker Carlson white, so I gotta- well, well, sorta. And you kind of got the Tucker Carlson hair going uh-huh. too. But you're a nerd who's the son of two nerds. Yes. One of whom is what Cajun, and the other one Jewish. Yes. So I, you know, I don't think Nick Fuentes is calling you white. No. Right. I don't think the I don't think the evil people are calling you or me white. Yeah. Um, What's our team? What team are we on? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. The Telling the Truth team. Yeah. We're like the cyclists. We're like cyclists. We're like, get How's off the it? sidewalk. Get off the road. <laughs> Where are, yeah. Wow. Does, but do you really feel that? It's just last thing before we, before we go. Do you, do you feel that in, in comedy there's stuff that has become more and more difficult to talk about, and especially if you're a straight white dude? Yes, but when it works, it's that much more fun to watch. Yeah. When someone juggles those chainsaws on fire and actually pulls it off, yeah, it's even more exciting. So I think it gives me that tension. It gives me the slingshot. So uh, it pulls the arrow back, as my friend Danny Jollis says, and it's on me to release it. And I, I think I do a decent job with that. So come out uh, to the shows and yeah, see for sure. whether or not I follow my face. Matthew Broussard playing tonight, 7.30, and Friday and Saturday, 7.15 and 9.45. Comedy Works South at the Landmark ComedyWorks.com for your tickets. Thanks so much for sticking around. It's Thanks great so to fun. meet you in person. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. We'll be right back on KOA. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's do this. We just had Matthew Broussard in studio, and I'm going to—this this dude is so funny, and, and I've actually never seen him live, and I really want to, uh, and so I'm going to go see him on, on Friday, and thanks to the, the generosity of Comedy Works— I've got a couple of pairs of tickets I can give away. Now, I want to make something uh, very, very clear uh, about what— shows you can choose from uh, if you win. So you can choose if you are a winner, and we'll tell you in a moment how you can win. If you are a winner, you can go either tonight at 7.30 or Friday or Saturday night at 9.45. Those are your choices. A-Rod, you got it? Tonight at 7.30 or Friday or Saturday at 9.45. You can choose whichever of those you want. Now, A-Rod is going to be in charge, because I am abdicating responsibility, of explaining to us how we are going to give away these two pairs of tickets. What are we doing, A-Rod? Yes, so in the segment with our awesome guest, the comedian Matthew Broussard, who you just mentioned about going to see with you winning this, he brought up, obviously, the serial discussion that we had in the last couple days. 
But he brought up another food item, which he found controversial. And you guys went back and forth on what was that food item? Third person to text to our Common Spirit Health text line, 56690. The third person to correctly mention that food item that Matthew brought up gets to choose what show they want to go to. Okay, to. we have two pairs of tickets Ooh. to give away. So third, third and, and fourth. Third and fourth. Okay, the third and fourth person to text 56690 and say what food item Matthew Broussard said he thinks is controversial and divisive and wanted to know my opinion. A third and fourth person to text that at 56690. If you are a winner, A-Rod will get in touch with you to get the necessary information. And A-Rod, really all we need is a name here. Um, and then you can just send me and Mel the winners. And um, all right, excellent, excellent. I'm, I'm going to go see him. So I, I hopefully you'll... You'll enjoy the show, too. Um, still uh, just a, a bunch of stuff to to talk about here. You know, th this was actually in the news uh, yesterday or the day before, and it's just a, a cool story, and I wanted to sh share it with you briefly. And that is the fastest-selling new license plate in Colorado history. Have you have you seen this plate, or have you seen a, a picture of the plate, at least? it's It's a license plate that represents Pike's Peak, and it's a drawing that was done by a 13-year-old, a 13-year-old girl who lives in Denver named Callista Blaschke. I sure hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, Callista. All of the entries in this particular category, which was called U13, were designed by Coloradans who were 13 years and younger. And she says she took inspiration from Pike's Peak, and from fortune hunters, and from the official state bird, the lark bunting, for the colorful design. And according to this story over at KDVR.com, over at Fox 31, there have been 5,700 of these license plates ordered in only two months to become the fastest selling license plate in Colorado history. And I think that is just a cool story and I wanted to share it with you. All right, here's an another story about a thing that is really a very, very modern kind of problem. The FCC on Monday announced its first ever fine against a company for violating rules about debris in space. So Dish Network, we all know Dish Network, right? Competitor with DirecTV and some other companies. They, like all these companies, use satellites. And they had a particular satellite called Echo Star 7. And Echo Star 7 has been in orbit for more than 20 years. Now, what they were supposed to do, and I'm going to go to theguardian.com. This is a British news outlet for this. In 2002, DISH launched the satellite into geostationary orbit. And what that means, because there's a couple ways you can do this. You can have satellites that go at a different speed, let's just say, from the Earth's orbit. And therefore, when you're looking up at the sky, the satellite will look like it's moving. I mean, it is moving, and it will look like it's moving. And it'll look like it's moving, you know, past the Earth. If you do a geostationary orbit, you put this thing up into space and you set it in a direction and speed 
so that it always stays over the same place on Earth. That's a geostationary orbit. So this Echo Star was in that kind of orbit, and that was somewhere around 22,000 miles above Earth. And in 2012, they agreed to a plan with the FCC that said that, okay, when Echo Star 7, the satellite, when its mission is done, it would send the satellite to another spot about 186 miles, 300 kilometers or so, above where its primary orbit had been into what's called a graveyard orbit where it wouldn't pose a risk to other active satellites that are commonly using this same altitude that Echo Star 7 was using when it was active. But last year, the company, DISH, figured out that the satellite was low on propellant and did not have enough propellant to push it up to the intended destination 186 miles higher. And instead, it only got less than halfway there. It got about 76 miles above, but that is still in an area that the FCC wants to keep clear. And so the FCC fined DISH $150,000 over their failure to what they call deorbit this satellite. And I'll tell you, if this really is a significant problem, and it does appear to be, by the way, space junk, space debris is already a pretty big problem, and it's going to be an enormous problem because you're just, I mean, imagine like just throwing a bunch of rocks, some small rocks, some big boulders in the middle of a highway. And, and then additionally, or let's just say the middle of the biggest highway you've ever seen. And there are some cars that are going down this highway that can't turn. So if there's a boulder in the way, it's going to hit it. If there's a tiny rock in the way, it hit it, it might be fine, it might not be fine, it might just push the rock out of the way. But if this really is that big a deal, and the current chair of the FCC said last year that right now there are thousands of metric tons of orbital debris in the air above and it's going to grow, then $150,000 is not a big enough fine. Right, $150,000 is not going to dissuade some huge multi-billion dollar company from doing what they need to do. The satellite probably cost them $100 million or more, right? Building the satellite, putting it up in space, probably at least $100 million. So now you're talking about a fine that is maybe a tenth of a percent, I'm guessing, but maybe a tenth of a percent of the cost of the project. They're not going to care. If this really is a big issue, and it, it sounds like it is, there needs to be a bigger fine. And I, I don't know if they have the authority to do more, but I did want to share that story with you. Let's see, what else am I doing here? Oh, let, okay, as long as we're doing nerdy stuff, there, I think just having Matthew Broussard in studio, even though he's a comedian, he's a big old nerd. And so it's got me in a very nerd kind of mind frame. So, oh, A-Rod, do we have winners already? 
We do have a couple winners. They correctly guessed when we asked what was the controversial food item that Matthew brought up. The answer was scones. Mm-hmm. And our winners, Dustin and Jim, are going. And you'll see Jim. He'll be at one of the shows on Friday. Excellent. If you're doing the late one. Yeah, congratulations to Dustin and Jim. And you're going to have a lot of fun seeing Matthew Broussard. In fact, um, guys, tell, text, uh, email me. Uh, sometime after the show, over the weekend or something, email me at ross at koadenver.com and tell me how you like the show. All right, let's do another nerdy thing. A frequent guest on this show is Robert Bryce. Robert Bryce is a, a just a truly excellent analyst of and writer about American energy. Energy production, the grid to distribute the energy, nuclear, natural gas, wind, solar, all of this stuff. Now, he is an unabashed and unashamed, as am I, uh, supporter of nuclear energy. And he is an unabashed and unashamed, as am I, somewhere between skeptic and critic of solar and wind energy, especially, you know, depending on the particular project. Some projects are dumber than others. Most projects are kind of dumb. There are a couple projects that probably make some sense. Like for solar, you put panels in the, in the Mojave Desert between Las Vegas and, and California in an area that's incredibly sunny in land that is otherwise worthless. If you can connect it to the grid at a reasonable price, that project might make sense. But there's not a lot of projects like that. You know, for example, most solar projects in Europe are truly stupid. Because there's so much cloud cover, and especially northern Europe, which is very far north, you go through much of the year with hardly any sun, and it's just really dumb. But wind, in general, is dumber than solar, again, except for in a few places where there might be consistent wind. You know, maybe West Texas makes sense for wind and otherwise worthless land. But most wind stuff is pretty dumb. And I want to share this Robert Bryce piece with you because this is, I guess, a little bit of schadenfreude, right? Meaning, meaning getting a little bit of pleasure out of the suffering of others. This is a little bit of schadenfreude for me. Robertbryce.substack.com is where you can find this, and it's linked on my blog as well. The only thing dumber than onshore wind energy is offshore wind energy. The good news for ratepayers, taxpayers, birds, bats, landscapes, view sheds, and the critically endangered North Atlantic right whale is that both sectors are getting hammered by market forces that make their projects uneconomic. Okay, so what is he saying? He's saying that all kinds of people and animals are harmed by wind energy projects, but... The market is now making it so that wind energy projects are not, do not make economic sense, and so they will not be happening, and that's good for everybody. On Monday, continuing with Robert's piece, Avangrid, A-V-A-N-G-R-I-D, a subsidiary of a Spanish utility called Iberdrola, announced that it was abandoning the 804 megawatt Park City wind project, which is not in Park City, Utah. It is in the ocean off the shore of Connecticut because the project is unfinanceable. In a statement that includes a marvelous but unintended pun, the company blamed, quote, unprecedented economic headwinds facing the industry, including record inflation, supply chain disruptions, and sharp interest rate hikes. 
the aggregate impact of which rendered the Park City Wind project unfinanceable under its existing contracts. A Van Grid is going to pay $16 million as a penalty to cancel the contract to sell electricity from this project to the state of Connecticut. The move is the latest blow to the Biden administration's plans to con construct 30,000 megawatts of offshore wind on the East Coast over the next several years. So in August, in August, let me find the Shell and Ocean Winds North America. Shell and Ocean Winds North America agreed to pay $60 million to cancel contracts to sell power to Massachusetts from a proposed project. In July, the same company of Angrid that we were talking about a moment ago agreed to pay $48 million to cancel a contract with Massachusetts. In July, Rhode Island Energy announced it was canceling a power purchase agreement with a couple other companies because power from the offshore facility was too expensive for customers to bear. Too expensive for customers to bear. Got it? So this is going on. This is great news, but it also shouldn't be surprising. Offshore wind has always been insanely expensive. In fact, the only method of generating power that's more expensive than offshore wind is by burning dollar bills in a power plant's boiler. And this is just something we all need to keep an eye on. Because we need to understand that we live in a state that is run by a radical environmentalist, Jared Polis, who has crazy and impossible ideas about making Colorado a net zero state. And he wants to replace essentially all fossil fuel or almost all power generation with wind and solar. It was already going to be essentially impossible when interest rates were close to zero. And it's really impossible now unless you are willing to allow the electric utility companies to, let's say, double people's electric bills. In August, Bloomberg New Energy Finance put out a report about the cost of producing electricity from offshore wind and how it has soared over the past two years. Quote, the levelized cost of electricity of a subsidized U.S. wind project has increased to $114 per megawatt from in 2023, up almost 50%, 50% from just two years earlier. And this starts getting really, really nerdy about what the costs are. But part of it is huge increases in interest rates because you have to borrow the money to finance these projects. And then, of course, there's all the inflation and all the stuff that you use to build these things. So it is getting impossible it is getting unaffordable the whales are happy because there have been a lot of dead whales that a lot of people think is caught has been caused by offshore wind projects or exploration to create offshore wind projects so i think i'll stop there, there there's more to the article but it probably gets even nerdier than i want to be but i just wanted you to be aware because Robert nails it in his title, wind blows. And these wind energy projects, especially offshore, are going to just, they're going to fall apart. They're already falling apart. They're going to keep falling apart. And when you hear them, when you hear stories about them falling apart, I want you to realize that that is great, great news.
All right, let me do politics here for a second. Just talk briefly about the whole Speaker of the House thing. There are a lot of different angles on this, and I didn't actually cover it very much yesterday. I probably should have done more, but I kind of didn't want to. My take after Kevin McCarthy was removed is that it is possible, which doesn't mean it's probable, but it is possible that Republicans could come out of it looking quite good if they can coalesce around a consensus candidate and vote that person in and have a new Speaker of the House in a week. What's happened now is that Steve Scalise, who is very popular with some members of Congress, and of course he's a sympathetic character because he was shot by that deranged Bernie Sanders supporter when he was at the House uh, baseball game. So he was shot, and he's been recovering from that, so that makes him sympathetic. Also, right now, he's being treated for blood cancer, which on the one hand makes him sympathetic, but on the other hand, it is a legitimate reason to have concern about him becoming Speaker of the House. It is an extremely demanding job, incredibly demanding of time and energy, and it is reasonable to wonder whether Steve Scalise is physically up to the job while he's undergoing treatment for blood cancer. But in any case, he's in. And Jim Jordan just got in. Jim Jordan is a guy who is extremely pro-Trump. He spends most of his time in Congress defending Donald Trump, or at least those are the clips that make it into media. He's not a dumb guy. I don't really like him, but I don't hate him either. I, I think he's too Trumpy to get the votes of moderate Republicans. There are plenty of Republicans in the House. I say plenty, and it's probably 10 or 20, but that's all you need because... There's only a five-seat majority in the House. And there's probably 10 or 20 Republicans who simply would not vote for Jim Jordan because Jim Jordan spent so much time supporting Donald Trump's lies about a stolen election. So, but Jim Jordan is also very popular with lots of other members of Congress. And he has done a pretty good job lately with pushing for investigations into Hunter Biden and possible connections later about Joe Biden. And he's done a fine job with that, being pretty aggressive when a lot of people want him to be pretty aggressive, and I want him to be pretty aggressive. So look, there's stuff to like and not like about all these guys, and I, I'm, I have no idea who I would vote for. There's another guy who's likely to run. His name is Kevin Hearn. He's from Oklahoma, and he chairs the Republican Study Committee. Now, my point here is... Given that there are three candidates, at least there's, you know, there's Scalise and, and Jordan, we know for sure are running. Hearn may be running. It's very unlikely there's going to be a consensus candidate in a week because at least both of those two guys and probably um, Hearn as well, if he runs, has a decent number of of built-in really strong supporters. And that means there's no way any one Republican is going to get a majority of the vote in the House. And that means that Republicans won't have chosen a Speaker of the House by next week. And that means that Democrats will keep just castigating and ridiculing Republicans as being a party that can't govern. It is a very difficult situation for Republicans. They need to figure it out in a hurry. I don't see an easy way out if both of these guys decide to stick in there because both of them are going to have a large number of supporters that will simply stick with them. We'll see. We'll see. This could turn out fine for Republicans, but the longer it takes, 
the worse it'll be. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Now, Ross Kaminsky. probably who get towed probably should have been uh but every once in a while you hear these stories of what is sometimes called predatory towing and this is the stuff that really pisses people off and and makes the whole industry look bad and denver does have a particular problem with it joining us to talk about it john Connolly. Um, he's been in the business for uh, a long time. He's been on the show with me uh, before, and he heads up the state's uh, towing industry organization. John, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Ross. Thanks for having me. So I saw a headline in the Denver Post, the radical idea to combat Colorado's predatory towing problem. And I have a vague recollection that there was some law passed not that long ago, or or at least discussed. I don't even know if it was passed. Tell me if it was. And... Um, and I think a lot of folks thought it might make the situation better. So w- what is the current environment that causes someone like you to actually want to work with the legislature? Well, currently, the, they're, they're just regulating the towing industry uh, beyond beyond reasonable. Uh, the last legislation they passed uh, allowed consumers to pick up a vehicle for $60 and then owe the tow carriers the money. And, of course... No one's ever paid the rest, so it's kind of hard for the industry to provide a service when you only get sixty dollars. I mean, that barely covers the insurance to to actually do the tow. Okay, so there, I, I get that, but there's also the predatory side where you, as president of the industry association, need to protect the the integrity and the reputation of the industry. Uh, so I guess what you'd want to do is two things at the same time, right? Like get the, get the legislature to fix the stupid regulations where they're regulating the wrong thing and then get them to impose some other regulations where they're not regulating the predatory stuff. Is that kind of right? Well, it's, uh, it's kind of simple. I mean, the, the towing industry is a service industry, right? So, you know, it's designed to move a vehicle from point A to point B. So currently, you know, you have your private property owner, they have issues, right? Whether it's people parking illegally or parking against their rules, um, things like that. So it used to be where the property owner was there and they are the ones that authorized the tow. Okay, which was a pretty simple scenario. They're the ones that were there authorizing the tow. 
Well, then you saw repercussions where people were getting their cars towed and then going back and, uh, you know, beating them up, beating up the managers and, and really causing a lot of harm to some of the, the managers. So they uh, decided to go ahead and just sign contracts with the towing industry and let the towing industry deal with it. Well, that's kind of created the the twist that we're in, right? So now the towing carriers are doing a service for the property owners, and yet they're taking all the financial responsibility, all of all of everything. They're, they're taking the heat for doing it, et cetera. Um, so my plan is just, you know what, okay, eliminate that and just make the property owners deal with it. It's, I mean, it's the end of the day, it's their problem. So, so what does uh, deal with it mean? When you say make the property well, owners deal with it, what, what deal with what exactly? They need to deal with all of it. They need to deal with some of the financial responsibility, right? And some of the decision-making in doing that. So if the property owner believes it needs to be towed, then then they can call service and have it towed. And then the property uh, owner would pay the towing company and the property owner would then try to recover that cost or that cost plus extra fees or fines from the violator? Right. I mean, it would have to be something. But here, here's the whole thing is that the property owners have to come to the table. If they don't come to the table to help fix this problem, then the only thing the towing industry can do is walk away from it and say, you know what? Good luck. Are we close to that? Uh, we're very close to that. I mean, I would say 85% of the towing industry in Colorado is ready to just walk away from it and say, you know what? Good luck. Uh, because they won't come to the table and help fix this problem. What percentage of tows are, are from private property and what percent are from people who are violating, let's say, uh, didn't put money in a parking meter, that kind of thing, on, on public property? Well, it's kind of one and the same. I mean, a lot of that is law enforcement when you're getting into parking meters, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, this problem is more so on private property. So the other thing I want to ask you about, and this, this comes up in the article in the, in the Denver Post, and this one name keeps coming up, at Wyatt's Towing. And I know you're president of the organization, and you might not want to talk about one company, but it does, the, in the Denver Post, they write a very interesting story about how this company has what they called vertically, a vertically integrated conglomerate. And they talk about how this company owns like parking lots, towing companies, car dealerships, and auction houses, and that they've put together this whole industry whereby they will have someone maybe park in one of their lots and then tow them when they can and then sell the car and, and so on. And it's kind of like they've created an industry where they have the incentive to just tow as many cars as they possibly can with as little incent with as little uh, provocation as possible. Uh, is that right? Well, I mean, yes, there's, there's a lot of that going on. Um, and, but you got to look at how and why, right? I mean, it's not like they tow a car and then sell it right away. I mean, there's, there's still laws that, require certain things to sell a car right it has they have to send notification out by certified mail they have to be registered with the department of you know dor and and do their do their notifications per statute and then there's a timeline on there where people have to come you know claim the vehicle beforehand and if they don't then they need to get rid of it so 
do they have vertical integration? I mean, it's in a way, yes, they have pretty much A to Z. But it doesn't. But it doesn't trouble you, and you think you think that they are behaving within the confines of current law. Well, I would say the the part that bothers me is the beginning. Okay, is is the beginning correct? Are the toes correct? Are they right. supposed to be towed? Mm-hmm. Right, and that's and that's the big question. And and you know the the towing industry sympathizes with property owners, saying yes, people park in fire lanes and handicap places and and you know a spot that you know is permit parking only and and there is a need for that service but i don't believe the need needs to be solely on the towing carrier's shoulders at this point okay it needs the you know it needs to go back to the property owner they need to take some responsibility at the beginning and they need to be the ones that decide what is towed what is not towed what is what is legit to them etc because leaving it to someone else uh creates the problems that we see okay so we got just about a minute left here and i want to try to summarize what i what i think you're saying uh, and and the problem you're going to try to address with legislators so the the legislature passed rules that massively limit your the amount of revenue you can collect for a tow and your ability to collect it to the point where your industry is bordering on non-economic at least separate from the part of if you also sell the car yourself like some of these other guys but just the tow part is bordering on non-economic and the and the best solution you can see right now is to then put the financial responsibility on the owners of the property who want the car removed because the legislature has constrained you too much from collecting the revenue from the person whose car is towed. Did I say that right? That's a, that's a pretty good summary, yes. Okay, uh, just about out of time. Just briefly, what is going on right now in conversations with you and legislators? I know they're not in session right now, but do you see any kind of solution on the horizon? Well, we're working through it, trying to come up with many uh, solutions to many problems within the industry itself. You know, starting off when they they issue a permit to a, a tow carrier, mm-hmm. you know, making making sure that there's a little more guidelines they have to follow before even getting into the business, making sure they understand what what rules and what laws they have to follow in each industry or each category within the industry, I should say. Because there's multiple categories within the towing industry. You know, you got your consent towing, your law enforcement towing, your your private property towing. You know, so and you know we're we're working through that, and then also you know just throwing throwing this crazy idea out there to to turn the apple cart upside down to say, okay, let's come up with a better a better way to handle this to where there is some moral compass put back into the equation. That's a great way to put it. We're going to leave it there. John Connolly is president of the Colorado Towing Industry Association. Thanks so much for your time, John. Great information. We'll definitely have you back. All right, Russ. Have Thanks. a good one. You too. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back on KOA. All right, let's do a couple minutes on some sort of political things. And then coming up in the next segment of the show, we're going to spend a few minutes with Kwame Spearman, who's running for school board in Denver. Gonna, I've got a, I've got an important question for Kwame that uh, I'm going to ask him. You're going to want to hear the answer to it because I don't know what the answer is going to be. But a couple of political things first. So you, the, the Biden administration must be much more scared about one particular issue 
maybe two, but one we're going to focus on today, than anything else. And that is illegal immigration. You, you would think they'd be very concerned about the economy, and I'm sure they are. Uh, they've kind of figured out that Joe Biden running around talking about Bidenomics is pretty dumb because he just keeps reminding people of something they're mad about. But you don't hear too many Democrats complaining about it because they're not going to complain about a Democrat even if they should be. But something's very, very different when it comes to illegal immigration. And, and that is you've got governors and mayors and members of Congress who are Democrats criticizing the Biden administration for their handling or lack thereof of our southern border. And therefore, they believe that this may really hurt them, hurt Democrats running for Congress in the next election. And they are surely right. And to the extent that you see polls now showing Donald Trump and Joe Biden neck and neck, some polls show Trump ahead of Biden. I don't know if I trust him, but at least this thing is much closer than than I would have thought a year ago or a year and a half ago. Biden is just getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And, and Trump is weak, but he's not really getting weaker. So Biden is getting weaker and Trump is thereby catching up. So the Democrats are really scared because they've got other Democrat, not just politicians, but voters around the country really pissed and scared with these illegal immigrants showing up, taking over rec centers and taking over schools and taking over cultural places and just showing up in buses and Denver spending $26 million so far this year on them. You get the idea. Democrats are pissed and the Biden administration is scared. So we learned last night, and I'll quote from the Associated Press, the Biden administration announced that it waived 26 federal laws in South Texas to allow border wall construction on Wednesday, marking the administration's first use of a sweeping executive power employed often during the Trump presidency. DHS, Department of Homeland Security, posted this on their website uh, in the U.S. Federal Registry, talking about construction in Starr County, Texas, that's got two R's. That's an area that the Border Patrol says they has high illegal entry and they are going to build, I think, just below 20 miles a wall. I think up to 20 miles a wall. Uh, it might be just below that. But in any case, uh, it's pretty remarkable to see these hardcore, open border, pro-illegal immigration leftists who campaigned on, Joe Biden explicitly campaigned on there will not be another foot of border wall. And they're now going to do this. By the way, this is going to piss off some of their friends, especially the environmentalists who don't like walls. And they say it's going to block the migration patterns of some animals and maybe damage some plants and maybe cause erosion. A lot of the environmentalists are going to complain. But but the administration has just suspended all, all these rules that normally the environmentalists could use to sue to block the stop, stopping the wall. They're basically saying it's an emergency and you can't stop us using any of these laws that you normally could. And, and look, yeah, it's a thing they should be doing. Uh, but no, I don't give them any credit for it. They're not doing it because it's the right thing to do. They're doing it because they're scared to death. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. It's Thursday. I'm Ross. This is KOA. We are, of course, the home of the Broncos. And I want to let you know, sometime before the end of today's show, and that's only in a little over 20 minutes, so sometime soon, I'm going to be giving away a pair of tickets to see the Broncos-Jets game this Sunday. And also, more importantly, if you win, you get a pair of sold-out mini Broncos snowcap-style helmets, like the helmet that's going to be worn um, on Sunday in the game, except the helmets that are worn in the game are bigger than the mini helmet you're going to get. And I'm I'm a little bit jealous of whoever wins tickets, and I'm super jealous of whoever wins a, a helmet because I, yeah. They're for listeners. They're not for employees. They're for listeners. You get them. Good for you. We're going to do that in a little while. Right now, we're going to do something else. The school board for Denver Public Schools has been very controversial and much in the news in the past, let's say, couple of years, which is generally not where you want a school board to be and probably not where most school board people want to be with the possible exception of a racist grifter named Tay Anderson who is finishing up his time on the school board and he's going to go run for something else. And so this guy always wanted to be in the news because that's what grifters do. Now, I think he realized he probably wouldn't win re-election, so he decided not to run. And so a few other folks are running for this at-large seat, which represents the whole city of Denver. There are also seats on the school board that represent particular geographical districts in Denver. And one of the candidates for the at-large seat is my friend Kwame Spearman, who is co-owner of of the Tattered Cover Bookstore and an interesting guy in his own right, and he is running for Denver School Board. Kwame, good to talk to you again. Ross, it is great to be on. How are you? I'm, I'm good. Uh, what is the number one or, or number one and number two things that you want the Denver School Board to focus on that you would push them to focus on if you win election? Well, first thing to note, because you mentioned it during the introduction, and, and I think we have to highlight it, the days of Ayante Anderson, otherwise known as Tay, on the school board are coming to an end. And I think so much of the disruption and the negative press, and for those of you who live in Denver or who are driving around Denver and you see those resigned DPS signs, those are about one person. And I'm so thrilled that when I got in the race, he decided to get out. I think this race right now is really about two things, Ross. The first is we have to ensure that our schools are safe. There is a crisis of confidence right now amongst our parents, our students, and our teachers, and it is absolutely unacceptable that our students and teachers are compromising their abilities to learn because they're afraid. We've got to change that. The second thing, though, is a more op to me, it's a more optimistic tone. I actually believe, Ross, that Denver Public Schools is 
on the right track and that we can, while we can do better, we are serving our students. We need to get our swagger back and we need leaders that can show the wins the district is doing. And a win is that we are not going to have Ayante Anderson anymore. Let's celebrate and applaud that and start looking about how we can be our best selves in the future. Okay, a couple of follow-ups on that. So one of the things that's long bothered me on the safety side for Denver Public Schools is this thing that I think is called the matrix, uh, if I remember correctly. And it's basically a chart that says if somebody does such and such an act um, on school property, here's the punishment. And also, will we or won't we involve law enforcement? And and part of this shows that somebody can steal or destroy essentially an unlimited amount of stuff, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of stuff they can steal or destroy, and law enforcement will not be called. And, of course, anybody, if you know, there's not that many kids who would do that kind of thing, but the ones who would know this. Would you change that? 100%. I mean, Russ, you and I get along because I think we love simplicity. The, the discipline matrix, at least in my opinion, is purposefully complex. Here's what I know, and here are the values that should drive discipline at our school. When you walk in a classroom and there are 25, 26 students, and 25 of those students are doing their best to learn, they're doing their best to get a good education, and one student is disruptive, is menacing, is threatening, we need a situation in which that student can be removed from the classroom. And We've got to go back to a place in which we are favoring the students who want to learn at all times. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to educate students who are having disciplinary problems, but we've got to start thinking critically about pathway schools, alternative education. If you look at the Cherry Creek School District, right, they do an incredibly good job of having alternative learning environments for students to get the social-emotional help that they need to partner with county services that can give additional things like counseling and mental health support for their students, and they're able to keep their classrooms more in control. We've got to go back to that at Denver Public Schools. We've got to provide funding and resources for those types of environments because the notion that all students can be in the same classroom at the same time, it's very clear it's not working right now. Okay, so you mentioned earlier that you think Denver Public Schools uh, are have lost their swagger but are basically doing okay. And I, I wonder about this. I don't know how old this data is, but U.S. News and World Report does uh, has data, aggregated data on a lot of stuff. And they say in Denver Public Schools, 38% of elementary students tested at or above proficient level for reading and 32% for math. Uh, in middle school, 38% were proficient for reading, 26% for math. And then high school was a little better for reading, but only 27% for math. So that doesn't sound like, you know, I'm not trying to like beat anybody up or rain on a parade and this is not your fault. You're not even in a job yet, but I, I don't think it's doing as well as you're saying. So, so here's, here's the situation, Ross. Unfortunately, we have a massive achievement gap within Denver Public Schools. We, we almost have two different school districts. So if, if you are a white student in Denver Public Schools, we are succeeding. The, the recent testing data, and I'm not someone who puts 
everything into testing. I think it's one data point, but this data point is interesting. If you are a white student in Denver Public Schools, we are the second highest performing school district in the state. We are only behind Steamboat Springs. The reason why the data that you cited is so low is that unfortunately we have another school district and that school district for our black and Latino students is massively underperforming. And because we are a majority minority school district, that's where you get the numbers that you're researching. So here's what we've got to do, Ross. The first thing is we've got to acknowledge that things like school choice within neighborhoods has allowed our white students to do well. We've got to understand what are the traits that are working in those schools, and we've got to put resources to ensure that our black and Latino students are getting the same opportunities. And if we can increase that demographic, you're going to see massive improvement throughout the district. How much of the difference between the performance of white kids and the performance of uh, black and brown kids uh, do you think is attributed to uh, the parental household and cultural situations that might differ like on average between the white families in Denver and the non-white families in Denver. And I, in, in other words, what I'm asking is to the extent that there's a big achievement gap and there definitely is, you're absolutely right. Uh, how much of this can't be solved by schools because it needs to be dealt with by by more supportive parents by having two by having a father in the household and and by other things like that that schools can't control i think that there are a lot of reasons for the gap but i can tell you that denver public schools if we're doing the right things by our black and latino students we can definitely shrink the gap the, the numbers that i'm citing 43 percent Ross, that's out of control. And, and I think that, you know, are we going to get it to parity? That may be ambitious, but I think we've got to try and we can definitely move in the right direction through our resources at Denver Public Schools. Okay. So one of the things that you mentioned as a cause of the relative outperformance of white students versus non-white students was school choice. I think I heard you say that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And... Typically, the the biggest opponents of school choice are teachers unions, and I I have been exceedingly critical of, of teachers unions on this show, and it's likely that I will continue to be. And, and so I was a little bit concerned when I saw that you were endorsed by the teachers union, and when I brought up your your website just now, and folks, Kwame for Denver, if you want to learn more about Kwame Spearman, it's K-W-A-M-E-F-O-R-Denver.com. Uh, there's a pop-up that immediately comes up when I load your webpage that says, we are thrilled to announce that the Denver Classroom Teachers Association has endorsed Kwame Spearman for Denver Public School Board. So for those of us who care about the highest quality of education, and uh, why should that not make us a little nervous about you? Sure. So, so Ross, here's what you need to know about me. I am the son of a Denver Public School teacher. I'm the fourth generation of an educator in my family. That There is no one who is more supportive of our teachers than I am. I think the reason why I got the endorsement, and you know, for those of you who followed me during my mayoral journey, I, I am an independent, pragmatic thinker. And what I believe is that we have to pay our teachers more, and we've got to think of creative ways to do that. I actually believe that Denver Public Schools should be building housing 
for our teachers because it is unaffordable to live in Denver. And I think we've got to improve our benefits package. You know, if you are a teacher in Denver Public Schools right now, you don't even get maternity leave. Those things are fundamentally unacceptable. And I think there's huge alignment between where I am and where our teachers are in that. I think that's the reason why I got their endorsement. But Ross, listen, let's be clear. I am still a wildly independent thinker. I believe in educational curriculum diversity. You've got to have different types of schools that kids can go to. I actually think our teachers want that as well. They just want to be paid a living wage in those in those roles. And I think that's totally fine. As far as the school choice that I'm talking about, Here's what I think is unacceptable. I think it's unacceptable if you live in, let's say, the far northeast of Denver to have to be bused into Crestmore or the central part of the city just to receive a good education. I'm t- the school choice that I'm talking about are things like enrollment zones, in which if you live in Central Park, there are numerous schools that have different theories of education that you can choice into. That's what we've got to do. Every neighborhood in Denver has to have great schools. Yeah, but what and if they is- don't, Kwame? So what, what if somebody in the Northeast has a really exceptional kid and doesn't believe that any school within five miles of their house or three miles of their house or whatever is good enough? And, and there's one that's, you know, 15 miles away they, they want him to go to, they want the kid to go to. Uh, and, and they're willing to get him there, however. You don't necessarily need to provide the transportation as a school district. Should they be able to do that? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Of course, of course, of course. So what are you going to do, though? Sorry to interrupt you, but what are you going to do? So I understand everything you've said about paying teachers. And there's a huge discussion nationwide, not just locally, about whether teachers are underpaid or not. And and it's possible that many of them are. And and the market will kind of show us this to the extent that we're not able to hire and retain enough teachers. It it means they're underpaid for, right? And that does seem to be happening. So you you may be right that they're underpaid, maybe. Um, But... Imagine that I'm president of the of the teachers union and and I, you know, come to you like a year from now when there's some kind of school choice measure coming up before the school board. And I'm like, hey, Kwame, uh, nice campaign you got there. It'd be a shame if something happened to it. Um, you know, we we really don't want to see any more school choice because these people, Kwame, are uh, I'm not sure about teachers. It's, you said you love and support teachers. Me too. I love and support teachers. I hate and despise the teachers' union. They do not care about the children. The, the union doesn't care about the children. How are you going to stand up against that kind of pressure? Ross, I, I am, if one thing, consistent. And I will always rise above politics and take a pragmatic approach and support our students and teachers. I Even if it means the union says we won't support you next time? Of course, of course, of course. But, but I'm incredibly confident that the Denver Classroom Teachers Association is in it for the right 
reasons, and they want to pay our teachers more, they want to provide our teachers more benefits, and they want lower class sizes in our schools. I think those three tenets we all agree on. I'm not only going to fight, I'm going to deliver for those things, and I think I'll get more than just their endorsement. I think I'll get the endorsement of the entire community, which is where we need. To be clear, we are coming out of the Aonte Anderson period, one of the most polarized, politicized periods in modern school board history. We need people like myself who want to bring us together. And, and I think that's what I'm doing. That's why I got their endorsement. And Ross, I want yours as well. You got to tell your voters to, you got to tell your listeners, excuse me, to support me because that's how we're going to make Denver Public Schools great again. Uh, I have not talk, talked yet to the one other guy who I think is sort of your main competitor for this. I think there's three people running. Uh, I, I am going to try to get at least that one other guy and maybe both of them on the show. And then I'll make a decision about who I, who I like. I may or may not make a, a public endorsement. But I, I will say in general for folks who maybe haven't heard Kwame before or don't know him, you know, I, I, I thought Kwame was a, a good candidate for mayor. Kwame is telling the truth when he says he's an out-of-the-box an independent kind of thinker and he came out with some very controversial stuff during the mayor's race that I really liked even though I thought it wouldn't play well in the very leftist city of Denver and I, and I appreciate that a, a lot about you and and, uh, and and we'll see where it goes but I, I do take you at your word I just I just hope you don't trust the teachers unions too much because they are not in it for the kids well I I challenge you to hold me accountable I always love coming on your show and we can continue the dialogue because I think as long as we're having respectful conversations, we're moving in the right direction. Kwame Spearman's website as he's running for Denver School Board is KwameForDenver.com. K-W-A-M-E-F-O-R Denver.com. Thanks for doing this, Kwame. I'm sure we'll talk again. Ross, speak soon. Have a great day. All right. Let's do something else now. There's the music. A-Rod is really excited about this. Excited to work. Super excited about this. Even though he's wearing a basketball shirt, uh, his hoodie. We're doing football right now. We are going to give away a pair of tickets to this Sunday's Broncos-Jets game. So that's awesome enough. Even arguably more awesome, although I may be out on a limb here, is the fact that whoever wins this pair of tickets also wins a pair of mini Broncos snow-capped style helmets. These helmets are also sold out wherever you used to be able to buy them. You can't now. And I'm more than a little jealous because... I get to go to Broncos games way more often than I get a mini helmet. Um, I should note, if you were to go to my home and, and, and look like on the shelf above the fireplace and count the total number of mini helmets I have from all the NFL teams. Wait, I'm just trying to picture it now for my fireplace. The total number is uh, zero. It's zero. A and so I'm really, really jealous of whoever's going to win this now. So, uh, and if you don't win, you can, uh, your next chance at 445 today, KOA Sports. And uh, the mini helmets are courtesy of KOA and the Broncos. So, A-Rod, how is somebody going to win the tickets and the helmets? The Jets and the Broncos have played each other a total of 40 times in their history. So this is going to be the 41st. So, on the Common Spirit Health Hotline, 303-713-8585, the 41st person to call this phone number and talk to me gets to win the tickets and the two helmets. I don't know why I'm choosing pain. Today's pain. Tomorrow's Friday. Let's go. So starting now? Starting right now. Okay, so the 41st caller. I, I just want people to know. 
that when we say caller 41, it means A-Rod actually has to go through and deal with 41 phone calls to get through to listener 41. That's unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I see the phone lines lighting up already, and A-Rod has his work cut out for him. But I didn't put him up to it. I didn't put him up to that level of work. He decided to to do that all all by himself. Mandy, what are you what are you playing with on your on your phone there? I'm what are you doing? My fantasy football lineup for tonight. Seriously? I seriously am. Wow. And A Rod's gonna be proud of me because I've forgotten to do it for like the past three weeks on Thursday. So generally speaking, I had a player that either played Thursday night that shouldn't have or something. So I'm actually remember my fantasy football team is terrible, Ross. Terrible. I mean, absolutely god awful. What what league are you in? Who I'm are you? in the KOA fantasy. Oh, in the KOA, league. Thing. Got a KOA fantasy. Yeah, the league, one so. where you go on the webpage and on no, no, the... no, no. This is the KOA fantasy league. Oh, this just is the in, fantasy in football here. league. Like A Rod heads it up. Uh, wow. So I got in over my head. So this is my this is my learning year. Next year it's a keeper league. So I'll start off next year better than I started this year. So but yeah, it's been a train wreck season. Um, do you do you know a lot about football, or is it kind of like know, seat of the pants, you know I or I like radio, his shoes? Right? No, or... you know I did sports radio for three years. I did right? not know oh, that. Yes, I did. Um, so there, were, there have been times in my life when I paid a great deal of attention to football. Yeah. Uh, the last five years have not been those times. So I'm kind of starting from from scratch right now, but not scratch scratch. I mean, it's not like a, I'm a complete moron, but. I was exhausted the night of the draft, so I let the computer do the picking, and that was a horrible, horrible choice. Given where you worked before you worked in Denver, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if a lot of the football you were paying close attention to was college ball or whether there was well, a... Well, this was in Florida that I was uh, okay. uh, in sports radio, and uh -huh. we had the the Bucks, the Broncos, and the Jags. They, we had all three because we had two stations. We had two sticks. Wait, the Bucks, the... Bronco, oh, excuse me, the Bucks, the Dolphins, the Dolphins, and the Jags. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, we were, I deep embedded in football, but All the whole right. kneeling thing really mm. uh, set my family off football for multiple years, and I'm trying to play catch up now. Did the kneeling thing have anything to do with you not doing sports, not doing oh, football God, no. on the radio? No, no, no. That was that Both was a before. long time. I and uh, this is in no way a knock on what our great sports guys do. Yeah, but for me personally, I find sports highly repetitive, rep repetitive, and boring as a host. Okay. Like what we do yeah. is different every different day. Different every day. Right? Yeah. In sports, you're like, hey, let's talk about the same thing, only with a different guy's name in it. Let's do real or fake quickly. Let's do it. Hit me. Locals warned to stay away of mysterious pink swamp in Australia. Monkey in India steals unsuspecting man's bottle of whiskey. Guy dubbed Testicle King says baby gets the same diet and loves it. Texas Pitmaster goes viral after pouring his award-winning barbecue sauce over a sweat sock and eating it. Ah, I feel like it's got to be three or four. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, geez Louise, I'm hoping it's testicle guy, but it could be the sweat sock guy. I'm going to go sweat sock guy is fake because what would that do to your digestive system, eating a sweat sock? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you... You know, does it all come out the other end? And yeah. if it does, you have to wipe. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The actual fake headline, Mandy, is Texas Pitmaster goes viral after pouring his award-winning barbecue sauce over sweat suck and eating it. Back in the win column. That's better than my fantasy football team. What you got on tonight. your show today? I got Thomas Massey, Congressman oh, Thomas Massey, popping awesome. in for a visit. We've got a DPS school board candidate, Kimberly Sia, or Sia, we'll find out how to uh -huh. say her last name. Uh -huh. And we're going to find out what happened to Fort Morgan after they were on Hometown Takeover.
a show on HGTV, which was wonderful. I don't. All right. What time is that? I got to listen to that. Part. Uh, twelve thirty. He's coming on at twelve thirty. Awesome. All right. Let's stick around Massey's for the fabulous Mandy Connell. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.